Good morning. Good morning, Woodland Life Center peoples, far and wide. Sunday morning, it's the Sabbath. Hope you're doing well. Life has taken two ticks back into normalcy, and we've got a lot of ticks to go. Um, many of you probably got the email this week from the... Uh, Board and Pastor Tim, that we're going to probably be in this same situation probably at least till the end of May. So uh, hold on your hat, and we're we're hoping this is useful for you in whatever new way that we're worshiping now in our living rooms and in our cars and at our desktop computers. So we just want to start this morning, let's uh, just pause and remember that we are together, even though we are not together. So let me pray for us to start us off this morning. And Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're reminded this morning, Father, that you are God and that we are not and that you are king and that we are not that you are over and around and inside of all of this. And some of us this morning, Father, come happy and joyful and thankful and hopeful. And some of us are just so sick and tired. We're just exhausted. We're just done. And I want to acknowledge that there are all kinds, all places. And we just want to admit that that's where we are today. And it doesn't change anything about you. And that is the good news. And that's what we love about you. That you don't change and we do with all of our feelings and our fears. So, Father, we come again this morning open-handed, open-minded, and we open our future to you, and we ask that you would help us each moment walk in grace and truth. And we're thankful that we have a church, that we still have a pastor, that we have a God that never changes. So we thank you for that. And we all said, wherever you are, amen. We've got a new one requested by Pastor Tim. This is his fault. <laughs> and you'll like it. It's, it's pretty simple. Lori, go for it. Everything. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise. Worship 
worship. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our two weeks ago. This one is alive and kicking. <laughs> and uh, it's in a hurry, so. Try might, to breathe in between. I'm not sure you can stand up in your living room, but you might want to. What <laughs> holds your heart? stirs your soul what matters comes to mind the cares you keep the thoughts you think 
are new every morning. Hope still walks with the hurting. If you're still alive and you're breathing, praise Him. Thank Him. In the good and the bad, praise Him and thank Him. Acknowledge Him. 
another one we did two weeks ago. I don't know, this is quickly moving up the charts to be my favorite. So uh, this one gets all three people here really moving. Good Colorado song. Shame is a prison as cruel as the grave. Shame is a robber and he's come to take my name. Oh, love is my redeemer lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power where my freedom song is found. There ain't no grave.
something I never want to leave. My thoughts, my heart, what I live for is you. And Jesus, I pray that you will just bring us all along with you today. Lord Jesus, I know there's things you're going to teach us. I know there's places you're going to meet us. And Father, I'm thankful for that. We praise your name and you deserve all the praise, all the glory today. Jesus, take these offerings from each of our homes, from this building with these six, seven people here, Lord, we're all praising you, Jesus, and we're giving you everything that we can right now, the best that we can. Lord, you're full of blessings for your people. You're watching over us. Nothing gets by you, and we're thankful for that. So, Lord, I pray that we can sit and soak you up, that we can hear your voice because we quiet ourselves down, that we let the, the craziness, the busyness of our weeks, the the distractions of this whole quarantine, Jesus. It's getting to some of us now. It's been getting to others. And Lord, I just pray that you'll keep hope alive because our eyes are focused on you. That's what matters, is what your plan is. So you just unroll it, Lord. We roll that red carpet out for you. I just pray you'll walk it. And I pray we'll get behind you. We'll trust you, that we'll believe you, and that we'll know that you said you'd bless us. We'll know that you said that you'd never leave us or forsake us, and that we can just ride this along until it's over, that we will be a different people, that we will now be on fire for you to tell people about you, Lord. I pray that we won't shrink back, but instead that we'll go out, that we'll stop for that person that we really don't have time for in our schedule, but Lord, they need you, and I pray that you'll put it on our hearts whenever we pass someone that needs you. Lord, I pray that we won't be afraid if they don't have a mask, because we know that you're there and that you're covering us. We're doing the best we can, and I just pray, Jesus, that, that you will continue to protect your children, that you will use us where we're at, and I pray, Jesus, that your gospel will be set on fire once again through your people, and that we won't waste a second in telling anyone about you, because we don't know how long we've got before you come to get us. So whenever that may be, Let's take as many as we can with us, Jesus. And I pray that you will just continue to move in and through us, Lord. Be with us this morning and take this offering, Jesus. Thank you for offering back to us your son so that we can be blessed through him because you love us so much, Jesus. And we love you. 
love you, Lord.
all this. Blessings of mine with 
Father, we are reminded that you are faithful, that you are deeply good, and we're also reminded that our little American prosperous definition of good isn't always yours. You are deeply good. You are strongly good. We relent again. We submit to your goodness, your way, your faithfulness. Reminded that you are bringing all things together to make them new and good. So we're thankful and mindful that you never change. You never will. We thank you for that. And we all said, Amen. So now we'd like to just remind you to go online and, and give your offering this week. It's wlcchurch.com. You can snail mail it in if you'd like to do that, or you can drop it off at the church during the week. We thank you so much for being faithful and giving. And we're really thankful that we're able to give back right now. It's just such a sweet time to be able to do that. We also have a video coming next. I believe it's Miss McKenzie that has uh, a children's video here. So we're going to go ahead and go to that. was a major disappointment because they really wanted a family. But little did Abraham know that God had a very special plan for him. When Abraham was 75 years old, God promised to give him kids, and one day God would send the rescuer through his family. All God asked was that Abraham and Sarah leave their home first and follow him. Now, they had a tough choice to make, leave all their friends and trust God or stay comfortable. This was not easy. See, Abraham really wanted kids, but was already pretty old. Sarah was getting up there too. Not to mention, she had never been able to get pregnant. So if Abraham and Sarah were going to leave their home and trust in God's promise, they had to believe that God would do something that seemed impossible. The good news is, they decided to trust that God would keep his promise. That's always the right choice. So Abraham and Sarah moved from their home to a land called Canaan. Right away, God reminded Abraham of his promise. He said, I will make your children like the dust of the earth. Can specks of dust be counted? If they can, then your children can be counted. This was God's funny way of telling Abraham he would have a lot of kids because nobody can count every piece of dust. Well, this promise seemed great, but after a while, Abraham and Sarah still had no kids, let alone as many as the pieces of dust. Now, they were really old. Sometimes God doesn't remind us of his promises because he wants us to learn to trust him. But God took Abraham outside at night and told him to look at the stars. He reminded Abraham that he would give him that many kids. So Abraham decided to keep believing God. He and Sarah waited again. After more years, he got impatient. This time, God told Abraham, by next year, Sarah will have a son. But by now, Abraham was 99 years old. He and Sarah had both given up on having kids and God's promise. In fact, when Abraham told Sarah what God said, she laughed. It's probably not a good idea to laugh at God's promises, but Sarah was tired of waiting and had stopped trusting. 
The great thing is, even if we think it's impossible, God really does keep his promises. And just like God promised, Sarah got pregnant the next year after Abraham's 100th birthday. When her son was born, she named him Isaac, which means laughter. Sarah said, God has given laughter to me. Everybody who hears about this will laugh with me. And think about it. A really old lady having a baby is pretty funny. God kept his promise to give Abraham and Sarah a son. Even though they didn't think it was possible, it was easy for God because he can do anything, including giving old people babies. And remember how God was going to give Abraham as many children as the stars in the sky? Well, Isaac grew up and had children who had more children who had more children. This kept going and going and going. And guess who eventually was born in Abraham's line? The rescuer himself, God's son, Jesus. All because Abraham followed God and trusted God to keep his promise. And that's the story of God's promise to Abraham. Well, that's a great story. Thank you, Mackenzie, for sharing that with us today. Because it fits so perfectly in with our whole idea of covenant and the promises that God makes. I wish, if you're not in Colorado, I wish you were this morning because it is an absolutely gorgeous day. Sun is so bright, and if I go out those doors and look that direction, I see Pikes Peak in all of its splendor, America's mountain, and uh, the snow is still there, but it's beautiful here. So beautiful that I even broke out my... uh, my 11.99 Walmart Hawaiian shirt this morning just to celebrate the fact that it's such a beautiful day. I'm glad you're here. I, I, I have to tell you that sometimes I have a struggle trying to picture you there wherever you are because I don't have a clue what you're doing. But I wonder about, are you, are you sitting around as a family at the kitchen table with a computer on or do you have this on your phone or on your iPad or... How are you doing this? Wish you'd let me know sometime how this is working for you. An announcement that I need to share with you is if you will continue watching after the, the, the lesson is over today, we have a very important announcement that will be uh, shared with you by the sec- uh, Eric, the ser- secretary of our church board, about the pastoral search uh, uh, process. So hang on at the very end so that you can be caught up on that. I hope you have a Bible with you today because this is another one of those messages where I won't just be using a particular text, but I'll be using passages of Scripture from all across the Word today. So I hope that you'll keep your Bible with you there on that kitchen table or on your lap somewhere and flip with me through to some of these particular passages so you can mark them, highlight them, and be reminded of the fact that they do talk to us about about covenant. This will be the third uh, week now that we've been on this particular topic talking about covenant. Most of the information that I have shared with you in this particular series has come from two sources. One would be uh, a book called The Covenant by K. Arthur, a very good, um, a good resource if you're interested in this. The other, the other source was and is a little book simply called The Covenant by my friend James, Jim Garlow, and it's just a little book, just over a hundred pages really, but most of what you have heard through this series comes straight out of that book. 
If you get that book and look through it, begin reading it, you will start saying, oh, yeah, Pastor Tim said that. That's what Pastor Tim said. No, Pastor Jim really is the one who said that. I, I kind of work under the philosophy that if I tell you I'm using someone else's material and I give you the source and I tell you to go buy the book, it's not so much plagiarism as it is using sources. So I have ordered some of these books, and they will be available here um, sometime this week. I thought they might be here this last Thursday, but not until next week. But I want to encourage you, if this interests you, and you have found answers to questions uh, that had never been answered before through this series, I encourage you to get that little book by Garlow, and uh, it'll continue to answer more of those questions for you. When, when we think about covenant, and specifically the covenant we've been talking about during these uh, last two weeks and today, is the blood covenant. We're talking about a covenant that God made with a man. His name was Abraham, and we know that. We just saw that on the video a moment ago. But it was also a covenant through Abraham with a nation, and that nation was Israel. But it goes beyond that. Not just the nation of Israel over there in the Middle East, but it moves beyond that to the spiritual nation of Israel. Those of us who call Christ Lord and Savior are part of this covenant. We're right in the middle of it. Well, I've talked to you about the steps of that covenant-making process twice already, and, and we've walked through nine of those ten steps. And for the sake, again, of those who may not have been tuned in, and for some of you who have forgotten, I just want to go quickly go through those first nine steps again, and then we will pick up and begin to, where we left off last, last week and begin to draw some parallels between these steps as they are taken now in the Old Testament, but compare them to what's happening in uh, the New Testament. Someone might say, well, why would you repeat these nine steps again? It's because... I learn by repetition. Someone wrote a long time ago that one of the secrets to Adolf Hitler, his ability to speak, was three things. Say it simply, repeat it often, make it burn. <laughs> so that's my quest. I want to say it simply, as simply as I can. I want to repeat it often so you begin to catch on to it. And then if I can somehow help these words burn into your spirit, that makes me happy. So, we come back to our list again, and we begin with the exchange of robes. You remember, the whole concept is two men making covenant with one another, probably over a business deal or a piece of land. They would meet with a crowd of witnesses around them, and they would begin to go through these steps. They would begin by exchanging their robes with each other. That was to... Um, that was to uh, somehow um, mean an exchange of identities. And then they do exchange belts with one another. What did that one mean? Anyone? Just shout it out there. I can hear you here. No, that was to indicate the exchange of strengths. And then the number three was exchange of weapons. That was to indicate the exchange of enemies. So it was basically saying, for someone to get to me, if I'm in covenant with you, for someone to get to me, my enemy has to get through you first. And then they would deal with that sacrifice. And we've talked about that. And that's hard for us to grasp because we don't live in that culture anymore. But in Genesis chapter 15, we learned about 
the heifer, when, uh, when Abram said, get a heifer. But it also included a, 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 a ram and a goat. And they were to be sliced down the middle. And those carcasses, those halves of that carcass, pulled apart. So you can imagine that it would have been basically a valley of blood between those halves of the carcass. That was the sacrifice. And then those two who were making covenant with one another would stand at either end of that line of animal carcasses. And they would walk through that valley of blood. And it was known as the walk of death. They were literally saying by doing that, that if I fail to live up to this agreement, if I fail to live up to this covenant, may you do to me what we have done to these animals. And then we talked about the mark on the body, the sixth step in the covenant-making process. And we refer to that as the striking of the hands, opening a wound on the wrist of each partner, and then rubbing those wrists together. But when God made covenant with Abraham, the mark was no longer on the wrist. That would continue to be the case with individuals. But this covenant, the mark became not just the mark on the wrist, but it became circumcision. It was to indicate a multi-generational covenant. And then we came to the, to the exchange of blessings and curses. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you want to open to that, you find a complete list of the blessings and the curses that are spelled out for the keepers and the breakers of the covenant in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the blessings are found in verses like Philippians 4.19, where it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Or verses like Romans 8.17, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's an amazing truth because it is telling us in the New Testament that we are beneficiaries of everything that He has. The resources of heaven have been released through Jesus to you because you are joint heirs with Jesus. You remember that old Gaither song? The family of God, join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. One day, after my brother and I had become adults and we were married and we had children of our own, it was that late in their life that my parents finally decided that they would have a will drawn up. So my brother and I became joint heirs of everything that was theirs. And what I'm basically saying is, you stand alongside Jesus as a joint heir of everything that is God's. Those are the blessings as described in the New Testament. And some would say, well, what about the curses? That's what we really want to know about. What about these curses that we could stumble into? And in the Old Testament, the curses seem pretty severe. But, but, but what about the New Testament? In the New Testament we do not find the pronouncement of curses the way we find it in the Old Testament. And this is the only step in the covenant-making process that is not exactly duplicated in the New Testament. And there may be a reason. Perhaps it's because throughout history, we've passed sin and anger and pain along to anyone that we can get to take it. We get chewed out at the office or at work. 
And we come home and we yell at the wife and she spanks the kid and the kid kicks the dog and it goes right on down that chain of command. But someone has to say in families, in relationships, in churches, at work, someone has to say, I will absorb this and not pass it on. This will stop with me. It will not happen again in my family. I had a phone call several months ago from a gentleman who was a teenager in one of my early churches. And in the process of that phone call, he started telling me things about his family growing up, things I didn't know, and the abuse that he had suffered. And I listened to him as he poured out this story to me, and then toward the end basically said, that kind of activity stops with me. In the New Testament, what we see happening is this. Jesus becomes this grand shock absorber. He takes on all of the curses, all of the fury, all of the sickness, all of the sins of the ages. He absorbs the sin and the pain and He doesn't pass it on. That's why Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree or on a cross. So through Jesus, the blessings that were promised to Abraham, those are passed right on along to you as joint heirs of God. But instead of cursed are you, as it is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it only knows, blessed are you. So the pronouncement of blessings and curses comes in the New Testament as the absorption of curses by Jesus and the pronouncement of blessings on all of us. We are free from the curse of sin. We may deal with a lot of other things in life, but that curse of sin has been taken care of if we are living in covenant with God through Christ. Well, then we came to the covenant meal. And I, I mentioned to you, I think, both the last two weeks, it's one of my favorite moments in this process. And, and if we could all be together today, as I had planned, we would share that meal here in a moment. We would have communion together. But Jesus said in John 6:48, I am the bread of life. Well, in this passage, Jesus is in a discussion with the Pharisees. And as usual, they seem a bit dull spiritually. They just don't get it. And we look at verse 49. It's Jesus speaking again. He says, Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But there is a bread that comes down from heaven which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You remember when we talked about the covenant meal from the Old Testament perspective, the witnesses in the opening, uh, uh, the, the two uh, participants in the opening and witnesses about them, two people, they, they sat down at a table to take part in this 
covenant meal, and they fed each other the first few bites. And we talked about how the symbolism of that, at least, has been carried over to our wedding receptions with cake. Well, Jesus is talking here about us consuming Him, ingesting Him, taking Him in. In John chapter 6, verse 52, it says, Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So the Pharisees are beginning to wonder if Jesus is encouraging them in some sort of cannibalism. But in reality, what he's saying to them is this. Now, I am your covenant meal. I am the living bread for you. If you take me in, if you absorb me, you will have life. But without me, you will die. You remember the passage that's often used when we share communion together as a church? One of those places in, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 24, where it says, And he had, and he had given thanks, he broke it, speaking of the bread, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. I absorb him. It is part of that covenant meal when I am receiving communion. And then we went to number nine, which was the, and is the exchange of names. Abram became Abraham. And that A-H sound coming from the Hebrew word for God, which was Jehovah or Yahweh. And part of that word became part of Abram's name, Abraham. And God became known as the God of Abraham. But how is that parallel in the New Testament? Pretty simply, we take upon ourselves His name, Christ. And we become Christian. And the I-A-N at the end of that word donates some, uh, denotes someone who is of somebody else. I become a Christian. One who is of Christ, and he took upon himself my name. And you know how he did that. He could have always rightly called himself the Son of God, but he called himself the Son of Man. And when he did, he took my name and your name. The thing I haven't talked to you about so far is number 10 here on the list. I don't have a number by it but it's the exchange of firstborn sons. The exchange of the oldest male child. These two guys out in a field making a covenant with one another. 
And tradition says that in order to seal that covenant, to prove the covenant was real, this is what they would do. Uh, it, it might help you to see new light on that whole story of Mephibosheth that I shared with you last week, uh, where David brings this person, the King David brings this person, Mephibosheth, into his home. Because David was in covenant with Jonathan. And Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. So David sent servants to find him and brought him to his home. He was a grown man. And yet David brought him in. The sons that are exchanged, some say they would actually move into the home of the covenant partners and be raised by that partner. And others say it was totally symbolic, but, but it seems that it was more than just symbolic. We're talking here about people who were serious about covenant because it was this very painful thing, but one that proved that this covenant was real. And so in the most painful test of his lifetime, Abraham lived out this last test of the covenant partnership. Turn back to Genesis chapter 21 and look at verse 1. Sometime later, it says, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. And the interesting thing, at least to me, in that dialogue, is that we don't hear Abraham arguing about the thing. I mean, is there another way? How, how else could we go about this? There's got to be some other way that we could deal with this. I mean, what, what are you talking about here? But he knew that the exchanging of sons was part of this covenant-making ceremony. And though God had started this process with Abraham years ago, Abraham knew that the day was going to come when this requirement would have to be met. It was coming. It was out there in the future. If he was going to receive what God had promised him, then he would have to give his son to God. And there's a sense in which what we do on baby dedication in the modern church is, is similar to this. It is giving God our children and realizing that He gave us His Son. So Isaac headed up the mountain with Abraham. And some have suggested that Isaac wasn't just a kid. He wasn't just a little toe-headed boy. But perhaps as old as 30. Not a little boy as we often picture him. And eventually, this young man asked his father where they're going to get the animal that they're going to sacrifice. And Abraham answered like this, Jehovah Jireh, which basically means God will provide. So they're walking along, father and son, on the way to this mountain, this place where Abraham has been directed to go and sacrifice this son that walks beside him. And they got there. And the moment of truth arrived. They were on the mountain. And the altar had been constructed. And the wood gathered. 
and that son placed on that altar. And Abraham raised the knife to take the life of his boy. And Hebrews 11.17 tells us that in his heart, Abraham had already sacrificed Isaac. Look at Hebrews 11.17. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It doesn't say he almost did. It doesn't say he just about offered him. It says he offered him. He who had received the promises, this is according to verse 17, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And I think you have to understand the mentality of Abraham at this moment. Because in his mind and in his heart, this son was already dead. Because God had told him to sacrifice his son, Abraham had already dealt with that issue. Now this was just the mechanics of carrying it out. And look at verse 4 in Genesis 22. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. In Abraham's heart, Isaac had already been dead three days when they got to the place where he was supposed to complete the sacrifice. But God figuratively resurrected Isaac on that third day. Most of us still ask the question of Abraham. How could he have done that? I mean, how could he have walked up there I would have been a total basket case. Well, Scripture gives us a glimpse into Abraham that I'd never thought of until working through this series. I see that Abraham had an awareness that we've never given him credit for. Isaac was his only son. But Abraham knew that God had promised, promised, that's covenant. God had promised that Abraham's descendants would come through the line of Isaac and they would outnumber the stars of the heavens. So Abraham's thinking, hmm, wait a minute. God has promised that my lineage will come through Isaac and will outnumber the stars of the heavens. And now he's asking me to sacrifice my son. Flip back to Hebrews 11, 9 again. Look what it says. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did raise Isaac back from the dead. Abraham is taking Isaac up the mountain, but he's thinking, okay, even if I have to go through with this, God will raise him from the dead because my lineage is to come through Isaac. And that won't happen through a dead son. So God has some plan figured out that I may not understand or may, I'm certainly not aware of, but I'm going to be obedient to the things He tells me to do anyway because this is part of this agreement that I have entered into, him, into with Him. And if I do not complete this tenth step, it will not be complete. So Abraham has confidence in a covenant-keeping God. 
And it's so great that he believed that God would give Isaac back through resurrection. And in essence, when God stopped Abraham from completing the act, he was saying, Abraham, I've seen your heart. It's as if you've already sacrificed him. Your confidence in me is so great. So Abraham, let's save both of us some time and trouble. You don't have to go any further in this ceremony. So Abraham, just stop right now. Put down the knife. You've passed the test. You've given me your son. And look at verses 16 through 18, again in in Genesis 22. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of your enemies and through your offspring. All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, I'm assuming that you've already figured this out, haven't you? You see, ultimately the exchange of the eldest child would be paralleled in the New Testament when God said, now I will give you my son, Jesus Christ. Abraham, because you gave me your only son and you carried out your portion of this agreement, this covenant that I'm making with all mankind, now I will give humanity my only son. Isaac, this son, some say he probably helped carry the wood for the sacrifice up Mount Moriah, just as Jesus carried the wood used to sacrifice his own body up a hill very near Mount Moriah. And then the other son was crucified, sacrificed. And just like Isaac, who was figuratively dead for three days in Abraham's heart, Jesus too was in the tomb three days. And then came the resurrection. And the covenant was complete. And God said, this covenant will stand. And Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. What do you think he was talking about? Crucifixion? I don't think so. I think he was talking about something far greater. Something far bigger in the grand scheme of things. He was basically saying, the bow has now been placed on the gift and the agreement of the covenant. Covenant. The complete, the covenant is complete. If you look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, you read these words. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it became very quiet because no one had ever stated that before. Peter was always the first one to speak. And he's often saying something stupid or out of line. I understand him. I'm like him sometimes in that area. But this time he was right. He was right on target. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Modern versions say, will not overcome it. In fact, Jesus was saying, you're going to go up and rip the gates of hell off its hinges. He was saying the church has the authority. You have covenant authority. When God says on this rock He's going to build His church and that you are going to rip the gates of hell off its hinges, what does He mean? He means that you have the keys. He means that we are in covenant with Him. And as such, we control not only our city, but our enemies' cities as well. That's what all of this is talking about. That we, through covenant power and authority, can put a stop to what the enemy is doing. When we pray, when we speak, when we declare God's will and not our own, God backs us up because we are in covenant with Him. He does so because it's His authority that we are exercising. It's not our own. Prayer is powerful. It is so powerful, in fact, that we have aligned ourselves with His incredible will, His game plan when we pray. You, as a believer in Christ, as a recipient of His grace and His redemption, are in covenant with God. You have the authority of the kingdom of heaven. You have the keys to the kingdom. You have the power and authority to rip the gates off the stronghold of hell because of who you are in covenant with. I think a lot of us often get a misread. We, we misinterpret this thing about the gates of hell. I think too many of us see the church as being this, this, this thing which is in a fortress and that hell is going to somehow, and somehow come along and, and, and tear down, can't tear down or can tear down the gates. That's not what it's saying at all. It's saying hell is the fortress. And you have the power and the authority and the ability to rip the, the gates of hell off its hinges. 
because your enemies are his. And yet we walk around with our head down thinking our world is going to hell. And God says, all I want from you is that which you have to give. Your love and your loyalty and your commitment. Sometimes I'm incredibly disappointed with myself at how far below the level of covenant I become comfortable to live. And then I come back to these concepts. And I love talking about them because they pick me up and they make me stand. And they remind me who my covenant partner is. And they make so many things in this book make sense to me. So listen, I'm not interested I'm not interested in helping you know about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to have a relationship with Him. I want you to come to the place where you have understood redemption. And that that person on the cross was not just a convict who was being executed. But He was the Son of God who was purchasing your redemption through covenant and that the price has been paid and when he said it is finished he was talking about the path was open for relationship for you and for me to have incredible relationship with him I walk through life many times and I have to go back to God and remind myself as I confess to him I'm a sinner I'm a sinner. God, the only hope I have is the redemption through Christ that He paid for on the cross to finish up this agreement for me to have relationship with You through Him. And that same relationship is open, wide open, to anyone today. I want you to be part of the covenant. I want you to embrace it. I want you to absorb it. I want him to become part of who you are. And so I pray for you today. Father in heaven, we have walked these past three weeks through a lot of things that may have been difficult for some to grasp or understand. But Father, my prayer has been that Your Spirit would take the words from my mouth and somehow interpret them before they get to someone else's ears and let them hear what You need them to hear. Make it more simple than I've made it. Make it more attainable than I've made it. Make it more reachable than I've made it. Make it more romantic than I've made it. Make it more desirable than I've made it. Father, somehow use these words and these concepts and these ideas to draw those of us who have even been part of the kingdom for a long time 
Draw us to deeper relationship with You and greater awareness of You day by day. For Father, on this day, we have opportunity to stand with You and a crowd of witnesses and make covenant. Father, I pray that today someone listening would pray a simple prayer just basically saying, Almighty God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I receive Jesus. I accept Him as my Savior. I receive Him as that final step in the covenant. I make Him part of who I am. Father, bless Your people today as they've listened. Be near them, I pray. Walk with them through this day and through this coming week and be with our country as we try to unravel all of the junk that's happened with this crazy virus. Help us, Father, not to go back to things that we shouldn't go back to. Because, Father, we had a lot of normal that wasn't right. But help us find a new normal that includes walking in covenant with you and accept our thanks for your kindness, your patience, your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. One other thing I mentioned earlier that I can't picture what you're doing out there watching this. I'm wondering if you would send me an email today at td, t is in Tim, d is in David, tdstearman at gmail.com, all lowercase. And Stearman is spelled S-T-E-A-R-M-A-N. tdstearman at gmail.com. Just tell me what you're doing, where you're seated, who's with you. I'm just interested in knowing. If this has been helpful to you at all, let me know. And if you'd like a copy of this book, I want to make sure you have opportunity to get that as well. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face to shine upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Take care. Good morning, church. I'm speaking to you today on behalf of the board in order to give you an update on our search for a new pastor. First, I'd like to tell you about our purpose and the process the board has used. In spite of social distancing restrictions, the board has maintained close contact to the process. In fact, virtual Skype meetings are something that we've become quite accustomed to since I left in February for Alaska. First and foremost, we are relying on prayer throughout the process, both individually and as a board. Most of the resumes that we received were from Dr. Ralph, the district superintendent, though we did receive one resume directly. Besides some official references that were received, the district was also able to provide us with some input directly from the districts and the churches where the pastors have served. Additionally, we were also fortunate that each candidate had a wealth of sermons and Bible studies available to view online. Thanks to your survey input, much deliberation, and lots of prayer, we narrowed the search down to one individual and held an interview. We were very thankful for his patience because we did grill him for over two hours to make sure he was the right choice. After the interview was over, we discussed the pastor's answers. Although we were very happy with the responses and how well he met your survey input, we decided to take a few days to pray over the matter. A few days later, we met again as a board and unanimously voted in favor of the pastor. 
we have extended an invite for him to meet with you. Should he accept, we will need to determine the best format to achieve this. Our preference is for you to meet him in person, which may be feasible if we can establish safe procedures beforehand, but we, we must still make that determination based on COVID-19 restrictions. As soon as we have more information on when and how that will occur, we will let you know. We will not release his name at this time out of respect to him and his current congregation, and we ask that everyone maintain patience until he is able to meet with you. Finally, our responsibility as a board is not to select your new pastor, but to find the best candidate to present to you. Ultimately, the decision lies with you and the Lord. We ask that you submit to prayer, asking the Lord to guide you, us, and the church as a whole as we continue with the next phase. Now I'm going to give you a brief update on our new, or not new, but continuing COVID-19 policy. So we received many questions regarding uh, the new COVID-19 safer at home restrictions. Uh, we'd like to provide an update on where we stand currently as a church. So the church board and the staff have unanimously agreed that Woodland Life Center will continue to refrain from holding live services or hosting events at small groups on the premises. This will continue through the end of May when an update to the executive order is expected. The current limit of 10 individuals in a facility, as well as dis distancing requirements, are not conducive to holding live services. However, we are fortunate that it does allow us to continue streaming Sunday worship and sermons. This decision was not made lightly, but in the best interest of the congregation and the community. In this time, we must remember that the building does not make the church. Instead, it is we that are the church. With this in mind, we recognize that we have safe alternatives to using the church facility, and we should use those until we get through this uncertain time. These alternatives are virtual video conferences, which are available and free through Skype, Facebook, Zoom, and even Gmail. There is also the option that small groups could be held in any private outdoor location or yard if that's available to you, and it allows for social distancing requirements and the groups can agree to a cleaning regimen. Even a simple phone call to someone you have not seen over the last couple of months may make the difference in getting through this. Woodland Life Center's congregation represents Christ in our community. With this in mind, we must recognize the importance of social distancing in regards to the unsaved. We find comfort in the Lord, but others may still be in need, so we should strive to avoid exposure and in turn avoid exposing someone else to a potentially deadly virus before they too have been saved. May the Lord bless each and every one of you. I thank you all. May he make you a light unto the world. down. 